Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. So good to be here, and what a beautiful morning. You watch that snow fall out there, that's something. You love that snow? All three of you, awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm from Michigan, we tend to like snow, but uh, it's beautiful, it's a beautiful morning, so good to be together. And I tell you what, there's a lot to celebrate this morning. I think about yesterday, I don't know uh, who was here of, of the crowd yesterday and those online, but I don't know, we had a lot of people uh, serving and being the hands of feet of Jesus Christ all over, uh, not only here locally, but over towards Middletown and even Dallas. It's just amazing, and I gotta tell you what, way to go. I, I tell you, it was just beautiful, and I, I just wanna thank you uh, for all those who served and encourage you to check that out, our second Saturday serves and the opportunity for us to witness to others, to be Jesus to others. It was a beautiful day yesterday. And I wanna also call you to look forward to next weekend. We're, we're concluding our series called Rooted next weekend and we're gonna do that with a very kind of unique service. So I'm really excited about that. But then afterwards, we're gonna have a party. And so those who would come, uh, we encourage you all to stay. There's going to be food together, kind of a celebration together, and don't miss next weekend and what we're going to be doing together as a church as we conclude this series. It's going to be an exciting weekend. Invite those who are online, come join us, be part of the celebration for what God has done in the life of this church uh, throughout this series. That's what next weekend is about. Well, I don't know about you. I don't know how you often begin your day. For me, there are moments uh, in my day when I, be, when I wake up that I'm you know, more energetic and I, I'm looking forward to talking, and then there's other mornings where I'm like, oh man, it just feels like a quiet morning. I just kind of want to reflect before I say anything or do anything at all. Uh, so it's common for me, though, uh, for, to begin my day by opening up my iPad and going on Facebook and see what my friends have posted. I might do that for five minutes before I kind of do much of anything else. Well, on one particular morning, just a couple months ago, one of my friends on Facebook posted this picture along with a brief statement. Take a look. So starting the day with Pepper and Jesus. Pepper, of course, being a reference to my friend's cat, and Jesus being a reference to the pages of the Bible. Now, that picture might not mean much to you. But when I saw that image, it brought me back over 30 years. It took me to this really popular restaurant in Kalamazoo, Michigan, because it was there that I shared dinner with Jennifer, this girl from college who had asked me out on a date. Now, all I knew about Jennifer at that time was she was incredibly kind. I mean, that, she was just wonderful that way. She loved jazz music, and I sang opera, but different worlds, but she loved jazz music. She was a very gifted singer, piano player, and performer. What I didn't know as I was sitting with her at that restaurant that night was that years later in her life, her singing voice would be heard on many feature films like Live Free or Die Hard, Ice Age 2, 3, and 4, Enchanted, I know a lot of people like that movie, and some of you might have heard of the the movie Star Trek. Her voice would also be heard on a popular television show called Glee that was on TV for some time, as well as on various television commercials for McDonald's, Chili's, and Old El Paso. But back then, for me, 
She was just Jennifer to me. And, and, and all I knew about Jennifer was that I didn't know her well. And so we're sitting down, I'm trying to get to know a bit about her, and somewhere right before dinner arrived to our table, she kind of switched the conversation. She said something like this. She said, Phil, students on campus are telling me that you're a Christian. Can you tell me about that? And it was the tone in her voice, the way that she asked it, that told me where she was at. And uh, this was a moment that I say that God would present before me that I call a 1 Peter 3.15 moment. Peter said, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And so for the next hour and a half as we sat in that restaurant, I talked to Jennifer about Jesus. I talked about sin, I talked about the power of the cross, and we weren't done, and so we went back to a music building on campus. This is a really large campus, Western Michigan University, and a lot of big buildings, and we're sitting in this one particular building, in this particular hallway, as we're talking more about Christ, when a guy from my high school years walked by. Uh, he was somebody that in my senior year, I, I invited to this Christian rock concert, and then afterwards, as we were driving home, I pulled off to the side of the road, and I asked him where he was with Christ. Not long afterwards, he accepted Christ as his Savior, and now he is walking by as I'm talking with Jennifer. And, and I said, you know what? I mean, we are talking right now about the very thing that you and I talked about, Jesus, relationship, I mean, two years ago. And, and within a blink of an eye, I said, you know what? Do it. It's the best decision I ever made in my life. About five minutes later, Jennifer prayed that prayer to receive Christ, and now over 30 years later, she begins her day with a little pepper in Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. I love what Peter says, be prepared. Be prepared. So I want to talk to us today about being prepared. Because moments come to us and we don't see them coming and then we don't know what to do so we're not prepared. He says prepare for this. Now, there are many reasons why Christians would talk about the fact that they, they refrain from sharing the gospel. For example, fear of rejection. There are some who aren't sure if they'll have an answer for a question that comes their way. And, and some people who are Christians really don't have a lot of friends with people outside the Christian faith so there's not really much of an opportunity. I would say this, telling others about Jesus is a reflection of your love for Jesus. I had the opportunity to meet an author that I did this conference with him some years ago, and he had touched my life for several years before, and he wrote this. He said, if my quest is to know him, I must recognize this about him. Jesus loves people, all people, especially those society ignores Therefore, I must know exactly how far he would travel for others, for that is the same distance he would journey again through me. Don't you love that? So telling others about Jesus is really an outflow of our love for Jesus. And here's something else I've learned along the way, that some Christians, as they talk to me, they refrain from sharing the gospel because uh, they think that they don't really know what that means, right? I say, well, what is the gospel? We're supposed to share it. And there are times when people can't tell me. They're almost guessing at it a bit. I think there's many Christians who fall into this category. So I want to take some time just briefly to clarify. Or better said, perhaps allow the Apostle Paul to clarify. Because he tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Number one, 
that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So according to the Apostle Paul, then, the gospel declares, first of all, that we have a sin problem that only Jesus can eradicate. And sin has fallen on hard times in our society. People don't talk about it anymore. They don't reference it anymore. There's other names for it, it seems, because people don't like to talk about sin. But as you've heard me tell you before, if you doubt if sin exists, just try to take care of a toddler for a couple hours. And I'll tell you what, it shows up over and over again. We're born in our sin, as the psalmist says. So we have a sin problem that only Jesus can eradicate. Secondly, Jesus paid for our sins through his death and through his burial. That he took our sins upon himself when he went to the cross. And the good news about all of that is that Jesus conquered our sins through his resurrection on the third day. The fact that Jesus would rise again was the guarantee that we could rise as well and know eternal life because we know him. And Paul tells us that all those who hear, repent, and receive this gospel will be saved. And yet there's another reason, though, that some people tell me that they don't share the gospel, is that they, they, they don't know if they can do so in a manner that's kind of consistent with their wiring, you know, kind of their personalities. And I would say this, never let your personality stop you. You see, God made us all different from one another so that we can reflect him in different ways to others. So your personality is an asset. Here's what I believe. Online here today and for everyone here in this place, that somewhere deep down in each one of us, we know that we have a love and compassion for others. We do. We know we have opportunities to impact many others, and we know that Jesus wants us to spread his love to others. But sometimes we're just not sure of how to do that. And because we aren't sure and because we haven't prepared ourselves, we often settle for just kind of stepping back or writing a check so that other people can do that, or sometimes praying quietly on the sidelines. It's not that we don't see a need. It's not that we don't want to help meet some kind of a need. It's that we don't know how to do it in a matter that's consistent with who we are and also honors that other person. So to help us today, I want to, I want to start by talking about something we all have in common. We all have in common. We all love stories. We all love stories. We love true stories that touch us. We love fictitious stories that really speak to the truth of who we are or who we long to be one day. And since we all love the power of a story, I would say one of the best ways to share the gospel with others is through telling the right story. Depends on who you're with. For example, whenever you encounter someone who doesn't yet follow Christ, who's in your family, lives on your street, or maybe it's your coworker, you could share the gospel with them first with starting with your own story. Start with your story. Everybody has one. You see, it's just a matter of identifying your, your key moments of your story as it relates to Jesus Christ and then conveying that story to others. In fact, if you've been part of Rooted for a while now, you might actually have one of those devotionals. And this week, that's what you're going to be spending time doing, writing out your story, identifying the before parts of your story and the after parts of your story of meeting Jesus Christ, and then writing that down. And this is one way you can prepare yourself to share the gospel with another. Because after all, no one can argue with your story. I mean, they might not really see how your story relates to their story of faith, but don't let that stop you. Because when you share your story, God can use that in powerful ways that far are far beyond really your capacity to even imagine what could happen with that. So share 
Your story, and by the way, your story doesn't need to be perfect or profound. It just needs to be honest. Carol and I have a friend. Uh, his name is Kyle. And he's in his upper 20s. Uh, Kyle is just a wonderful guy. He's worshiped here with us before. Uh, he has come to faith in Jesus Christ. But his past, he, he's got a rap sheet that goes like from here all the way down to the floor. I mean, he has just got a history. And yet he's come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the, the reality is that God is working on him. I mean, there's a lot that God will keep working in his life, and so he doesn't tell his story perfectly, and his language is colorful still. And, and so recently, for example, and he does this a lot, he posted on Facebook this, and I can't really read it all, but you'll get the idea. Uh, he says, don't, this is the first line, don't tell me you can't blank do it. I'll let you fill in the blank. I went from nothing an absolute menace to society with no friends, no family, no nothing to someone with a dream. And I'm closer to my goals every day. Never say never. I've reached the goal of finally paying my license off in full on Tuesday. I'm so happy and proud. I've come a very long way. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that powerful? Don't minimize your story. God can use your story to touch the life of another. Who could you tell? Who do you know? You can share the gospel by starting with your story, but you can also share the gospel by starting with their story. It's something we don't often think about. Their story. It means we got to take some time to get to know them and then utilize their story as a means of pointing them to faith in Jesus Christ. We see this modeled for us by Jesus himself. I mean, in John chapter 4, we see this woman, the Samaritan woman. She's come to this well in the heat of the day, and Jesus shows up shortly afterwards and engages her with a question. Will you give me a drink, he said. Simple question. And since it's hot, dry, and dusty, Jesus then engages her with something they both had in common, a common need. It was their thirst. And this immediately led them to a conversation about their gender differences which led to a conversation about their ethnic differences, which led to a conversation about their religious differences, which led them full back to a conversation about water. The everlasting kind. She knew that she needed this water of life, and so she was really, really interested. And it's at this point then that Jesus starts diving down a little deeper in this. And in verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. So now, I mean, he knows a lot about her. And what does she do? Well, she pivots, and she tries to kind of disengage from what he just said. And so she starts talking about the proper place to worship, but Jesus doesn't take the bait. He immediately responds by focusing on the one that she had been waiting for her entire life, the Messiah. And she responded by saying, well, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And if you read the story, what happens in no time flat, she drops her water jar and she just starts running. Not running away from Jesus, but running to her neighbors to tell them about this guy that she just met. And keep in mind, her neighbors are the ones who know every single detail of her ugly, ugly story, but she doesn't care. And so she runs into town, 
And she exclaims, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So this woman had already written various painful chapters to the life of her story, and now a brand new chapter was being written, and she wanted everyone to know about it. And it worked, because the Bible tells us they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Phil, that's great. I love that. I've, I've actually heard part of that story before. But here's the thing, Phil. I'm not Jesus. You're right. You're not. And I'm not either. We're called to represent Jesus wherever we go, wherever we have an opportunity. So who do you know? A person I look to in the Bible to live this out is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he stepped into Athens. This is a place he had never been before. He didn't know any of the people. And so while he didn't know them, he worked really hard to understand them so he could start with their story in order to lead them to the gospel story, the story of Jesus Christ. Take a look at how he does this. It's fascinating. In Acts 17, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so the first thing that Paul sees here is this this culture, it's riddled with idols on every street corner. And we can relate if we're honest, right? I mean, look look at some of ours, right? We got the idol of our car that we're driving or what we're going to wear next. And of course, us, we brand ourselves. We can become quickly our own idol. And then, of course, in our American culture, we got a lot of uh, American idols out there as well, right? And so Paul notices all of the idols in the culture, and then he engages them how? So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. The Bible said that he reasoned with them. In the Greek, that means he talked with them, he conversed with them, and as he does that, he's just trying to understand them better. And the first group he encounters would be a diverse group, Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Their background's very different, very different from one another, and yet they had one thing in common. Both groups believed in one God, and along with this belief came the idea that only one God is to be worshipped, God himself. And yet Paul is seeing all of this, that there's, they would say there's no idols allowed, and yet even though they're worshippers of one God, they are starting to kind of take in some of these idols as well, and so he calls them out for their own hypocrisy. It makes me wonder sometimes what Paul would say if he walked around our town or downtown Cincinnati. But here's the thing, when Paul was brought before another group, another group then, they had never known really that God existed, didn't know who he was. Paul quickly pivots and he starts with their story in order to eventually lead them to the story of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice what Paul does first. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Think about that. He compliments them. First thing, he compliments them. Why? Well, in a world that's so focused on ourselves and it's all about us, these people are actually trying to worship something greater than themselves. And Paul viewed that as a great thing. And so he he compliments them. Who do you know in your life that exhibits some really good characteristics, yet doesn't know the Lord? Where could you start by complimenting them? be a great place to start. As some of you know, I've shared it before, Carol and I, a year ago, we moved to a different neighborhood. 
And it's been a fascinating journey. In some ways, really hard. In some ways, really, really good. But it's been an interesting journey. And, and I'm out walking my dog, Ollie, one day and just, you know, doing that thing and having a good time when we, I noticed this other couple on the other side of the street, never met them before, and they're walking their dog. Now, our dog is like a medium-sized dog. Their dog is the largest dog I've ever seen in my life. I'm not exaggerating. It's like they're walking a horse. I've never seen a dog that large. And, and Ali, of course, notices the dog, and that dog or horse notices our dog. And so I'm walking closer to that dog. They're walking closer to mine. And just before, like a couple feet before they can touch noses, right, I looked at this couple that I'd never met. And I said, oh, you're going to love Ali. He's just one of the nicest dogs that ever lived, right? And as soon as I said that, oh, he's just the nicest dog, our dog jumps up in the air and attacks that dog, grabs it by the neck, and is trying to wrestle it to the ground. And I got to tell you what, I was extremely embarrassed. I was shocked. And I said, you know what, I have never witnessed Holly doing anything like that. I'm like, I'm so sorry, and I pulled him off, and I was really angry with him, and I said, I was, thanks, good to meet you, and I, I, I just walked, and eventually I, I got to our house, and I, and I walked in the front yard, and I put Ollie inside, and I told Carol, like, what had just happened? She's like, no way, Ollie? I said, yes, and, and then the next thing I know as I turned around was this couple with her horse-like dog walking up our front lawn directly up to us. I thought, oh, I said, you know what, um, I said, I'm sorry. No, 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 don't worry about it. We just want to welcome you to the neighborhood. We are so glad that you're here. We wanted to have the opportunity to get to know you. And so we started talking more, and eventually Carol gave them one of her cards to the city gospel mission, and I noticed that that didn't resonate necessarily a good thing with them. It just was kind of like, okay. And then, they, you know, they want to know more about me, and I don't know if that helped out all that much. I could tell that they were coming from a very different place, and yet we kept talking to them, and they were so incredibly kind, despite what had just happened. They said, you know, if you ever need any help, we live down the street. I mean, we'd love to catch up, have you over. I mean, so incredibly kind. Fast forward a couple months from that, our neighborhood is having this kind of neighborhood party. We're going from deck to deck to deck, four different decks in a night, all getting to know each other. And so we're at the third house. It's dark outside now. And I want you to imagine that you're all the neighbors. And this man who is so nice to me is standing in front of them. And I'm standing behind this guy, not knowing what's going to happen next. It's like a yearly thing they do. I just didn't know it. And he entertains them. And so he started to sing. I'm standing behind him. He started to sing words to songs. I've never heard anything so vile in my life. I was shocked, stunned. And I'm standing behind him watching this as all the neighbors are having a great time. And I'm like, wow. I didn't say anything. I'm like, wow. One of the other neighbors kind of called me over because he knew that this was kind of out there. And, and so he's talking to me over here just to kind of help me out, right? A couple minutes after this guy was done singing his songs, he walked up to me and says, oh, man, I, I want to apologize. I, I think probably some of the things I just sang were really offensive to you. Somebody must have told him what I do. And uh, he said, I'm just really, really sorry. I said, you know what, don't worry about that. For the rest of my life, here is how I'm going to think about you. You're one of the kindest people I've ever met. 
my dog attacked yours. You had every right to be angry with me. I'll tell you what, and you just treated us so incredibly well. You are so incredibly kind. That's how I'm going to think about you. So thank you. A couple days later, I'm working in our front yard, and he drives up his car, rolls down the window, and starts talking to me for like 15 minutes. And the story continues. Who do you know you could show kindness to? Compliment them. Who knows where that could go, that seed planted, where that could go. Because after Paul compliments them, the next thing he does is he linked their desire to worship. They wanted to worship something with the one who actually gave them that desire. And Paul stated, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And so now Paul's, he has captured their attention, and which gave him then freedom to kind of dive a little bit deeper. He says, I'm here to introduce you to this God so that you can worship intelligently and know who you're dealing with. Paul's basically saying, you know, I'm not just here just to get to know you and to respect you and, and all of that. I'm also here to help you. And he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him, perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Look at what Paul did here. After telling them about God's story of love for them, he quickly then tied God's story with their story as he respects one of their own poets in doing it. He's linking all of this together so that he can ultimately get to the big part of his story, the story of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So I want you to imagine the tension now in this moment. Paul starts with their story. And then he links that story to God's story. And then Paul pivots back again to their story in order to tell them about Christ's story. I want you to imagine the tension in that moment. How in the world would they respond? And friends, talk about preparing ourselves. We need to be prepared for that tension. We need to be ready when that moment arises because once we get to that part in the story, whether it's your story or their story, it's always that thing about how will they respond. But friends, this is part of loving Jesus enough to tell others about him. And so what happened next? After they heard what Paul had to say about Christ, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Friends, I want you to hear here. Even as you share the gospel with somebody, and you even start with their story, the truth is they may not respond positively, and their response also becomes part of their story. But here's the good news. Just like Jennifer did back in college, 
Some will respond to the Holy Spirit's working and prompting in their life, and they will respond. It's why it says in the very next verse, some of the people became followers and believed. You see, we're not responsible for how others respond. We are responsible for sharing the gospel, as the Bible tells us, with gentleness and with respect. So in the process of sharing the gospel, friends, you might start with your story. You might start with their story. Whatever story is utilized, always remember that the right story always ends with Jesus. Jesus. Think what Paul did. He starts with their culture and all this stuff and then their belief and then he ties it to God and then he's working his way all the way to Christ. And when Jesus encounters this woman at the well, he doesn't start by saying, well, I'm here. He starts with her need and what her life has been about and what she believes and all the while getting her closer and closer to encountering him. The right story always ends with Jesus. So who could you tell? Who could you tell? How could God use you? Imagine. I want us to. Will you join me in prayer right now? Dear Father, I thank you for every person who is here online and in this room. And God, you are at work in all of our lives in different ways, just growing us up, making us more like you, and we thank you, God. Lord, I pray for each person online right now and in this room that by your spirit you would show them the face of someone in their life. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend or a former friend. Show them who that person is. And then, Lord, by your spirit, prepare them to share their story, to share the gospel. Lord, and use them in ways they have never before imagined. That someone who's hurting, someone who's trapped in success and yet they have no hope would come to know hope in you, Jesus Christ. Use us, Lord, for your glory. That others would join your family, the family of God. I pray this, Lord, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Friends, may we always remember that Jesus has called us, if you remember, to be light. Remember, we've talked about this this past spring. He's also called us to be salt. And here's the thing. If you are, who knows what might happen? Think about this. As a result of being salt, your friend, your family member, your coworker might one day start their day with a little pepper in Jesus. And speaking of pepper in Jesus... Let me introduce you to my friend who I haven't seen for over 30 years, Jennifer. Will you welcome her here today? Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, this song is a little bit of my story. And I think it's all of our story of how God loves us. And that's the motivating ultimate motivation for telling our story. So I hope this song resonates with you as it has with me. How could you, the God of greatness, 
Well, Jennifer, it is so good to see you after all this time, <laughs> and uh, it's been a long time. Uh, we actually, I came to the rehearsal yesterday afternoon, and I think it's been like 32 years or something like that, uh, kind of crazy, and uh, I tell you, it's so good, and thanks for sharing, and I, I remember that night, and it was just really cool to see what God's done in your life. Could you share with, with us some of that journey? Uh, from that night of accepting Christ to kind of growing in your faith and maybe moments that really kind of challenged you or changed you? I think one of the best things, and I, I forgot about this until I was thinking about it after the last service, is that after that night that God used Phil to walk me all the way through to the finish line, as it were, which is the starting line, of course, um, I never saw him on campus mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. He was student teaching. Yeah that semester. So that divine appointment was, you know, it, it was him. And so I actually had a, a roommate who was a new baby Christian and um, got plugged in with Campus Crusade for Christ and a church and got discipled and went on from there. But I just think that's such a cool thing in God's Amen. sovereignty that we intersected and that was it. He's like, thanks, I'm done with you. I'll take it from here. <laughs> and, um, so kind of unique, and actually I think that unique story is something that I have told other people about, yeah. about how God works, that he uses people and places and times and all of that. So um, very cool. I went on and, and continued to pursue studying music, mostly jazz, and uh, that put me intersecting with some people who were very much not people who would ever set foot in a church. Yeah. Yeah. And I came to kind of question some of that, like I'm spending all this time without, you know, and I don't have as much fellowship or I'm, you know, not in the, and it turned out that no, that also was in God's plan exactly because those are people who would never set foot in the church. Yes. And so I was there and just being myself and loving the music and, and learning how to love people the way God loved them. And I ended up intersecting with, uh, some musicians who were in very dark places. And one particular one, I tell that story that, he actually asked me, he was a very old man, um, but a really competent pianist, and he seemed sad. And uh, I remember him asking me specifically one time, Jennifer, what are you always smiling about? And I knew that was a moment and I was scared to death. And at first I, I chickened out of the moment and said, oh, well, what's not to smile about? You know, life is good, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but I realized it seemed to me that his life probably wasn't good like mine. And um, so I, told, I did tell him that it was because of God and that, that I was happy and that uh, I knew him and more importantly, he knew me and he loved me. And um, unfortunately, I found out that he died of a drug overdose a couple of weeks after that conversation. But it hit me and it changed me, you know, to know that you, you never really know when the opportunity might be. And like you said, I think that's so important. I'm not responsible. It's not my fault. I hope maybe he did yes. know the Lord before he passed. But um, I think going on as a you know professional musician, I've been in some circles with lots of Christians um, in the studio singing world, for example, in Los Angeles, like you were saying, those movies, there are a lot of Christians. It's really, really neat. Um, and then there are a lot of non-Christians too. It's all good. And now teaching in a university, yes, a lot of darkness. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I consider that my primary job is not a music professor, but an ambassador for Christ yeah. in an extremely dark environment on the university campus. That's a fact. Yeah. Awesome. 
So tell us about that. You've been a professor for 10 years there in secular place, university. So you're not able to share everything you could. And so how do you go about that, um, yeah. opening the doorway for that? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, because I teach at the University of North Texas, which is a state school, so um, I am restricted specifically by law from initiating any conversation about Christ. And uh, <laughs> I said, I think God wants me to keep my job, so <laughs> I don't violate that, but mm -hmm. I am allowed by law. I mean, I looked into this, thankfully. I have lots of resources for that. And I know that I'm allowed to respond to any question that I'm asked, and in that context, I can talk about Christ. But honestly, more importantly for me, I'm aware of the fact that because I do make a post, um, my Facebook profile says about loving Jesus and being a Christ follower. I use that term, mm -hmm. I don't know, I decided on that a while ago because Christian has negative connotations mm -hmm. for so many people that I encounter. So saying Christ follower, like what is that? Might, that might be a question. Like what's yeah. the difference between a right. Christ follower and a Christian? So um, I have scripture I can do all things through him who strengthens me on the wall right behind the chair I sit in at my desk in my office. And I'm always hoping that that will plant seeds for someone that they might ask about that. Um, there are books on my bookshelves where my students might go and pull something. And, and honestly, I just consider at this point in my life, I don't, um, I won't say never, of course God might do that, but I'm not primarily going to be a harvester. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a seed planter, um, and I hope that most importantly that I walk with integrity yes. in my job and that I'm excellent at what I do. I strive for excellence, and I do get to talk about that in my teaching. Why do we pursue excellence? That would be true for anybody in every, any field, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't do it so that I can get glory. Mm -hmm. I do that because I'm doing what I think I was called to do and what God made me to do as a musician and as a teacher. And hopefully that excellence combined with loving people well may plant seeds that someone else may harvest someday. Maybe they'll meet a fill in, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Jennifer, thank you for being here. Can we thank Jennifer again? It's awesome to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Will you stand with me? Before we leave, we want to remind you, if you have a need, uh, even a, a thing to celebrate, we have prayer partners afterwards up front, I encourage you to come up front, they want to join you in prayer. But in light of what Jennifer just shared, she's a, a university professor, you have pos been positioned by God where you are, maybe in your home, maybe it is a business setting, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a salesperson, you're a marketer, whatever you are, God has positioned you there. Never underestimate your story. Never underestimate what God can do through you when you start with their story. You are there for a reason. And always, as Jesus would say, remember who you are as you are a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, this is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So don't hide. And be like that light that's on the top of that city, and it, and it shines a light to everyone, as Jesus says. So be salt. Be light. Point people to Jesus and see what God does. Thanks for coming. Go light your world. See you next weekend.
Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.